0: If you've been with us for the last three weeks, I think, including today, um, we started a new series called Managing Your Emotion. Little disclosure you don't get to manage anything really (laughs) apart from the power of God, right? I mean, let's be honest, we don't make good managers, right? Especially of our feelings and our emotions. But God in us, right? Well, that changes the game, doesn't it, for us who believe. Now, I know. It's snowing out, but trust me, if you've lived here for any length of time, a good majority of you aren't driving. But if you're a Bostonian, you know how to handle this weather. Let's be honest, this is nothing. And yes, there is a game. There is a game that would seek to steal the attention of Christ in the church. I couldn't believe yesterday, I, I won't share any names, but I saw some pastors get on and cancel their service, literally, because of the Super Bowl. I'm not going to go any further. I'll let you decide what you think about that, and we'll just leave it there. But we're not going to cancel. Hey, listen, we're celebrating a greater name than the Buccaneers and the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, no matter what you believe about prophecy and no matter how you love Tom Brady's brilliant career, um, the game is not till 630. we got plenty of time, folks. But we do want to get you out of here before the snow gets too bad, as it's predicted to uh, get a little out of control later in the day. Um, but again, we started about three weeks ago a series called "Managing Your Emotions." How many have enjoyed the series so far? You can lie, even if you want to. I wouldn't suggest that you lie in the presence of God, but that's on you. That's on you. But um, no, we started this um, new series, and, and you know, we think it's high time for the body of Christ to excel in this area, where we are not um, led by our feelings and our emotions, but that we are led by the Spirit of God. How many know that that's the hope that we have? When others are kind of producing and manifesting anger and rage uh, 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 and lust, we, we have the privilege because of the Spirit of God in us to manifest and produce uh, 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 fruit of peace and gentleness and self-control, right? I mean, that's the promise. Anybody got that promise here today? Okay, a couple of you. All right. This is uh, kind of like a how could I say, it's, we, you get to interact in this, right? I mean, the more you put your hands together and cheer me on, the better things get. I just, that's what I, I'm a charismatic at heart. I just, that's what I believe anyways. Uh, so you can feel, and listen, if we're gonna clap, listen, let's commit to it, right? There's nothing worse than the church that just halfway commits to the clap, you know? When the pastor puts out a good point and they're just like, I, I want, is this okay here? Listen, it's okay here. There's actually like, biblical precedence for clapping your hands, shouting me down, and just giving your amen to the word of God as it's preached. Amen? Okay, enough about me. Let's get on to the word. If you would, open with me to the book of James. One verse, actually I think it's two, the book of James, two verses, uh, hanging out in uh, chapter one, verse 19 and 20. I'm reading out of the ESV. I think if you have an ESV Bible, it's like page... 2000 or something like that. I don't even know if there's 2000 pages in the ESV Bible. But, anyways, uh, Christian jokes gone wild. Let's read the scripture. Know this. Let's, let's key in, right? James starts off, right? Know this. Understand this. Focus on this. Get this in your hearts and, and get it in your heads. My beloved, the church, all right? So he's specific, he's not just talking to anybody. He's talking to the people of God. And so when we read this, let's let's read it like James is speaking to us. And he wants us to zero in on something and to understand something. Amen? Know this, my beloved. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, if you haven't caught on yet, we are going to be talking about managing your emotions, but a specific kind of emotion, the emotion of anger. We got the angry people in the house of God today. Come on, lift them up loud and proud. Okay, I'm there. Like, you talk to my wife, you talk to my kid, and they're like, man, my dad is borderline miserable. (laughs) I mean, you know, I'm not going to, like, play any games. I'm not going to put any false pretenses out there. But I I tend to lean towards being somewhat of an angry individual. I, I like to think it's the spirit of God in me, but James doesn't agree with that, okay? So if you think your anger is producing any kind of righteousness, if you think it's actually God in you, it's not. We need to pause. We need to listen to James and say, whoa, okay. Because ultimately, guys, listen to me, God wants us as believers to produce the seeds of righteousness, now, we're going to get into some weeds here, alright? Because whenever you start dropping words like righteousness, people start, to get, start breaking out in cold sweats and like, oh my goodness, what are you talking about? But no, ultimately, we're going we're gonna to prove it today, hopefully by God's grace, that, that God wants to produce in us, not just externally, but internally, a righteousness that pleases His heart and glorifies His Son. Okay? So what we find out here is, hey, your anger, my anger... It doesn't do that, okay? It does not produce the righteousness of God. Are you with me? We're going to call this part of the series, Anage- I'm sorry, Managing Your Anger. Man- anger management. Isn't there a movie somewhere uh, that's, that's titled that? I think it's like Jack Nicholson, which is he not a great actor? And then Adam Sandler. I mean, think what you want about him, but uh, he's also great in his own way. A little, little, little dirty, but it, but great when he does those you know, rated PG movies, not so bad. But my hopes is is to convince and to communicate to you clearly that God wants you and I as believers to pursue to produce in order to prevent. So pursuing righteousness to produce righteousness in order to prevent the works of the flesh. That's what we're going after. That's our target. That's our aim. Are you with me? One person. Thank you. Can I start off by just affirming what James says here? Angry people don't make godly people. Come on, my wife is like Daryl. Get that. Get that. Preach. I'm 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 giving a sermon to myself this morning. But no, angry people do not produce. uh, Are not godly people. They don't produce godly people. It's not like anybody's looking at an angry guy saying, "Man, I want what he has." <laughs> like, like, how do you get that miserable? Like, like literally, like they're not they're not asking you out for coffee, saying, "Hey, man, could you give me the secret?" Like, why are you so angry? Like, just help me out. Nobody wants to hang out w- with a miserable woman, right? Nobody, nobody's, you know, unless you're miserable yourself, then misery likes company. But if, if you're somewhat of a peaceful, calm, gentle, kind person, like ah. Eh, you kind of avoid, you know, angry people like the bubonic plague, amen, or the COVID plague, whatever, which I don't know if it's quite a plague, but hey, whatever. Uh, but angry people don't make godly people. Internally, they're not godly. Externally, nobody's like, man, can you give me some of that anger, brother? Uh, can we go out for coffee so you can give me the secrets, right? They're, it's not happening. There, there's nothing appealing, friends, about an angry believer, Amen. There's nothing appealing about it. There's nothing attractive about it. And, and, and most importantly, guys, here's the thing. Here's the real key. All joking aside is um, Jesus is not glorified in and through the life of angry people. He's not. He's, it's not like he's like, oh, well, you know, I think a clear example of this, and I, I'm going to get into some muddy waters here, but anybody pay attention to the news on January 6th? Eh, kind of like the holy war that descended all the Trump guys, it's like, you know, like, like, you know, let's, let's, let's take this baby over. And in God's name, even some, you were hearing in the audience that this is not right. And they're, they're storming. That kind of anger is not going to produce godly fruit. And and the world's not looking at it and saying, oh, bless you. Like, look at these awesome people, right? They're just, they're just glorifying Jesus. No, no. Anger does not glorify Christ. Christ has a better way we need not to be involved with it. You know, I've been married for about... Just, I, get in the, I don't want to sleep on the couch today. Uh, but I'm thinking like close to 13 years. Yes! Woo! Uh, you know, after year two, it's just like, you know, I'm in this till I die. I mean, I'm just going to lose the years. Let's just go for it. But, um, you know, I, I have the kind of wife who is brutally honest. Thank God. If, listen, if I could give anybody marital advice... Um, pick a wife, maybe not a husband, but at, 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 I think a wife uh, who is brutally honest with you, uh, even when it's not necessarily flattering or like it feels good, but just just pick somebody who can tell you the truth. Amen. But my, my wife has no problem uh, telling me the truth. And from time to time, uh, I, can, I can always tell when she's about to, uh, she's about to drop the truth on me, because it usually, it usually starts off with this. It says, hey, hey babe, when you do that, any, anybody married? Have your wife ever just come up to you and be, like, you know, honey, when you when you do that, and they get they get soft in their voice and they kind of their 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 eyes and kind of like I don't know, my, their face changes a bit. Anybody? Any, you know when you do that and then it's it's always followed up by this i I don't find it unattractive i i find it unattractive i'm sorry I, i don't i don't i mean there's plenty about me physically that she finds very attractive i mean you can't help but like you know blame her there i mean it's all together but there are that was a joke by the way but but there are certain behaviors there are certain actions there are certain emotions There is anger of which she finds unattractive. And and I'm happy for that because it's a great reminder. See, I don't want to dwell in a house where my anger kind of rules and kind of sets the stage and the atmosphere of what my home life is about. I need somebody to come in and kind of confront that and say, hey, babe, you know, you're an attractive guy to me. But when you do that, you, you, you kind of you've gone off the rails. You don't look appealing. You're sleeping on the couch. You never want to sleep on the couch. okay? but but here's the deal. Anger does not look attractive on believers. And every once in a while, we need other believers to come alongside of us in God's word to challenge us and to say, hey, you know, that's not a good look for you, right? Have you ever just looked in the mirror and you tried like a certain kind of shirt that was, you know, for me, it's like something that's not black because it covers some of the chubbiness. You know, okay, anybody, anybody okay, nobody's there. You guys are all beautiful, but you try something different. You're just trying to mix it up. And you just look in the mirror and you're like, ooh. And, and you kind of convince yourself that you look good. But, but then you go out and people are like just, I don't know about that shirt. Listen, th- that's what we need when it comes to certain kind of behaviors and emotions. We need God to come along inside of us and say, hey, that, that, I got more for you than that. I got something better for you than just, just being angry, right? Anybody there? Well, this is good because this is where we're going. We're going we're gonna to challenge that emotion today. And, and we're going to put that Hopefully, by God's grace, that work of the flesh to death. Come on. Now, just in case you don't believe that you're not to mingle as a believer with other angry believers, let's look at Proverbs 22, 24 through 25. Because, we, you know, we need the Bible to affirm some of these things, don't we? And you don't want to just go upon my words. You want to go upon the eternal word, right? So Proverbs 22, 24, 25. Babe, I don't know what you're going to do about this theologically but let's read it. <laughs> Nobody connected the dots there. Maybe a couple of you. But here it is in, in Proverbs 22, chapter 22, 24 through 25. Everybody good? Everybody with me? Okay. This is what the Proverbs says. Make no. You got that? No. It doesn't say make some exceptions. It says no. Make no, none, nada, friendship with a man given to angry, anger. anger nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and engage yourself in a snare. That's the thing about anger. It is contagious, you know? Uh, we had my family over yesterday. And man, once we start, you know, I don't know about what your table time is like with your family, but my extended family, my side, when we get around the table, I know you're like, they probably thinking, why are you having your friends over or your family over during COVID? Get over, it's what I'm doing. Uh, <laughs> I'm done with COVID. I'm going to wear a mask. I'm going to honor all the regulations, but I'm going to be with my family. That's just the way it's going to be. You don't want to? Fine. Me and my house, we're going to be. But when, we're, when we be, when we are with our family, um, when we start talking politics, man, the conversation goes quickly off the rails. And it is like, it is contagious. Last night we had a political conversation that just went, man, if Google was listening, the FBI would have showed up in my house. They just, what is going on here? But true. It, it, but the anger, what I noticed is it was so contagious. We're just feeding off one another about the, the current political state of our nation. And this is what anger does. This is what all sin does. And when you start to mingle with it, and you start to dance and flirt around with it, it gets on you. And before you know, you've created a snare. And here it is, guys. God's got more for you than just a pit. He's got more for you than just an angry, uh, you know, miserable life. He's got a life filled with joy. All right. So we, we hopefully established that angry people don't make godly people. Now, the second point is this. Uh, and this is where we're going to get a bit in, in the weeds, if we haven't already. <laughs> but this is where I get a little bit in the weeds theologically. But this is what I'm going to say. This next statement is somewhat provocative. Um, to some of the church, and I apologize for this, but I'm convinced theologically that this is the truth. So you're going to have to take this next point and, and get in the words yourself. Don't just take my word for it. Get in the words yourself, study it out, find it, and see if there is actual truth to this. But maybe there's not a lot of disagreement around this statement, but this is what it's going to be. Number two, pursuing God's righteousness makes godly people. Uh, pursue, and you're, some of you are like, well, what's so Provocative about that. Well, in light of what Christ has done for us, um, and that our righteousness is as filthy rags, you know, and that His righteousness is what we're clothed in, you know, that, that substitutional, you know, kind of work that Christ did for us. And, and let me, whatever like uh, depth we go to or whatever weeds we get into, know this that I believe fully in the substitutional uh, a work of Jesus Christ. Uh, where where His righteousness has clothed me uh, by His His, his, his uh, the act on the cross. But here it is. Let's get into some scriptures here. Um, w- when I say pursuing uh, the righteousness of God, I kind of mean it like Jesus meant it in Matthew six thirty three. And, and if you're familiar with Matthew six thirty three, Jesus says this. He says, "Seek first the kingdom of God." And no, He just doesn't stop there. All you crazy charismatics. Oh yeah, I know, I know when we start talking kingdom, every charismatic in this room is like, yeah! But, but he doesn't stop there. And I yell, I'm sorry about that. It's kind of just my makeup. I apologize. I'm not angry. I'm probably a little too happy. If I got a little bit more angry. Maybe I would be a little bit quiet. But anyways, uh, Jesus doesn't stop there. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and what? What? Come on, people. We're not at the Tiger Woods PGA Tour, we're at church. In his what? Come on. In his righteousness. Now, I don't know what you do with scriptures like that because that calls me, the believer, to action. Like, that's something a little bit more for me than just the substitutional work of Christ. That's something that I have to be active in. And like, okay, you want me to see? It's not just like the substitutional work of which I fully believe him. But if you're not convinced yet, let's move on here, using some more scripture. In 1 Timothy 6, 11 and 12, the apostle Paul says this to his spiritual son, Timothy. You're going to like this one, because it echoes some of the same sentiments that Jesus says in Matthew 6, 33. This is what Paul the apostle says. Mind you, Paul the apostle, kind of a big deal in in the Bible, gave us like, what, 33 books in the New Testament? I mean, he's a heavy hitter. He's not just somebody. He's a someone. So we need to take it, I guess what I'm saying, we need to take his words like seriously into heart. He says this to Timothy. Pursue righteousness. Pursue it. So now we've gone from Jesus' words to seek, and now we have Paul's words saying to pursue. That now, again, that calls me to action. Because like, I believe it's not just Paul speaking to Timothy. I believe it's God speaking to ta- Paul, to Timothy, also to me. And, and so uh, these scripture verses, I guess what I'm trying to say, calls me to action. It calls me to do something that I can't just be, uh, you know, laxed. And I, I, I just, I have, to, I have to pursue something and I have to seek. And in this case, with these two scriptures, what I seek and what I pursue is God's Righteousness. Now, here, Paul's about ready to break it down a little bit. And by these next words, I don't think Paul is adding to what Timothy is going to pursue. Like, these aren't add-ons. This is more of just like a clarification. I, I mean, it's, that's, that's conjecture. I'm not saying that this is what is happening. But I, I, I believe that everything that Paul will begin to break down here further in this text... Um, simply is not an add-on, but just more bringing to light of what he means by pursuing righteousness. Are you following me? Like this is, okay, so maybe I'm getting a little out of control. I'm sorry. But, so pursue righteousness, Timothy. And this is what I think Paul does. I think he clarifies what he means by righteousness. He says, goes on, Godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. I believe that this is what Paul means. And these are the things in which um, Paul kind of maybe subcategorizes from that word righteousness. You know, the big thing, righteousness, and then he has all these categories of what that looks like, what that righteousness means. And to Paul, I think he's saying, Timothy, you have to pursue righteousness, and this is what that means. Go after godliness. Go after godliness, Timothy. Go after faith, Timothy. Have faith. Here's a young man, big church, a lot of big problems. He was timid. Uh, He was very fearful, kind of like me. Uh, But Paul is saying in this instance to have faith, Timothy. Don't give in to the timidity. Be godly and have faith. Actually, Timothy, you need to pursue it. Pursue it, Timothy. You can't be last. You, You just can't. You know, fall asleep at the wheel, Timothy, here. A lot of responsibility, Tim, uh, Timothy, and, and this is your responsibility. This is how you manage this responsibility. You must pursue godliness. You must pursue faith. You must pursue love. You must ref, uh, pursue steadfastness and gentleness, Timothy. And this is what I feel the apostle is doing. He's breaking it down and, and giving us a a, a f- clear understanding of this word righteousness. And, and when you think about it, it, it does take on a little bit more, not meaning, but clarity when it comes to the substitutional righteousness and then the righteousness of which the Scripture caused us to pursue as believers, if that makes sense. We're going to go further. We have a couple Scripture verses. I'm coming down home stretch. My main point is this. By these Scriptures if we're going to produce, I want to get the words right a lot of peas going on here but if we're going to produce the righteousness of God hear me we're going to have to pursue the righteousness of God and I believe that's what Paul is and Jesus is saying in these texts now I feel like some of us live in this bubble that oh you know like God can do all that in me when he wants. I, you know, like, if I'm not going to watch that movie, if I'm not going to say that word, if I'm not going to be given to anger, then God can just interrupt in kind of mosey his way and prevent me from doing that. This is the way it works. Like, God's not looking for machines. He's not looking for people that just like, do this. <laughs> you know? It's not God. He's looking for lovers. He's looking for people who naturally are inclined to say something greater lives in me. than than anger, (laughs) and and I'm gonna yield to that. And what you're doing right there in that moment is is you are pursuing God's righteousness in order to produce God's righteousness. Does that make sense? Anybody tracking with me? I'm trying to be as clear as I can here. So, So in order to produce the righteousness of God, you have to pursue the righteousness of God. Now, I think where some of the confusion comes from, and I just want to flush it out a little bit and address the elephant in the room, this word righteousness. Listen, this is important. One of the main texts that um, kind of builds the argument for why people are so, like, scared about the word righteousness and they start thinking, oh, oh, the pastor, like, wants me to pursue righteousness. I thought it was kind of, like, given to me as a gift. And that's, tr- like, rightfully so. We should believe that. Listen, hear me out. Like, I'm not trying to replace anything of the substitutional work of, of Christ. But one of the texts that is commonly used in the argument of why we shouldn't preach on these certain things, just one, there's many, but one is actually in the gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter six, verse one. And again, just to reassure you, I am coming down home stretch As a pastor, that means nothing, but I'm confident that we will be done um, in, in a short time here. But Matthew 6, one, Jesus said this in um, just some context. Again, Jesus always had struggles, right, with religious people. And the the association that we make with righteousness, we kind of associate with these Pharisees, like always trying to heap up on us all this, you know, action. Like you got to do this to get that. You you gotta, you gotta, you pray more serve God more, to be approved by God more. You gotta do all these works. Like that's, like, that's that's kind of shallow when we talk about this exchange that Christ had with some of the religious leaders, but it's, it hits close to the dot anyways. So there's this, all, there's this present contention that exists between Jesus and the religious people that carried on through the apostles and just everywhere. And, and one of the ways in which people who have A disdain and kind of like this uncomfortable feeling around the word righteousness comes from this text where Jesus said, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Makes sense. I'm signed up. Absolutely. And these these questions and these Things need to be addressed. We can't just, you know, just kind of comb over uh, this, this, this thing right here. We just can't hop over. we got to give some explanation. Uh, but can I just say this, that even though Jesus, he, he condemned the practicing of righteousness, uh, he, he condemned it in a way uh, where you and I shouldn't be doing it to be seen. Let me, let me just say it like this. Jesus never condemned practicing are producing, are, are pursuing, excuse me, righteousness in this text. Never! Like, you don't see that there. you, you tracking with me. And what he came up against, and what he constantly came up against, was doing it to be seen, or doing it in a way that you're looking to gain God's approval. Besides that, if you added anything to that, you would be adding to this book, which wouldn't be good jesus never condoned he never condemned the practicing and the pursuing of godliness he actually magnified it in a way that you felt like how can i ever do that so if we got that straight we can, we um, we got some understanding here yes we we should not be practicing you know in pursuing god's righteousness just to get a pat on the back and to be seen by other believers and we shouldn't fall to the trap that, that if, 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 if we do it, we gain some kind of approval that we wouldn't have gained from God otherwise. But we still, as believers, practice it. We still pursue it. Okay, enough on that train. Hopefully that makes sense because there is an ugly side to this and we see it in the church. So here's the application. Jesus didn't discourage people from pursuing righteousness Jesus discouraged people from practicing it in order to be seen. Jesus never condemned any kind of motive or any kind of per people to go after godliness and God's righteousness. So we are to practice righteousness as believers. It, it should, and, and so what does that look like for us when we're talking about anger? Man, if you're prone, if you're given, if you're inclined to respond, With harshness and a sharp tongue, man, it's at that moment you got to trust in God for something better, (laughs) you know, some kind of better response. And that's what I think it looks like, according to the scripture, uh, to pursue righteousness. Right in that moment when you would rather lash out and get hard and harsh with somebody, the Spirit of God comes upon you and reminds you to pursue righteousness. And in that moment, You tame your tongue rather than lashing out. I believe that that's pursuing righteousness in this context. One more scripture verse from uh, Paul the Apostle to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.22. And this is the third part of the sermon. Remember, the point, the main idea of what I'm trying to convince and persuade you of is that God wants you to pursue righteousness righteousness, to produce righteousness, and prevent the works of the flesh. Now, there's a big thing right there, this prevention. Uh, This is key. Here in 2 Timothy 2.22, Paul says this again uh, to Timothy. He says, so flee, Timothy. Run in the opposite direction, Timothy, as fast and as far as you can go. Of course, he didn't say that. I'm adding it. Uh, But he says, flee from youthful passions. If you look up Flee. That's exactly what it means. It means abandon, run quickly, Timothy, away in the opposite direction from youthful passions. And if we look up the word youthful passions, we we simply find that Timothy is exhorted, he's encouraged, he's commanded to flee from works of the flesh, otherwise known as sin. Flee from it, Timothy, have nothing to do with it. Run, 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 boy. And then he says, and pursue again to his son Timothy. You almost get the sense that Paul is trying to convince Timothy. <laughs> like, I, I know I've already said this in my, my first letter to you, Timothy, but I want to say it again, right? Flee from youthful lust of the flesh and pursue righteousness. And again, it breaks it down, faith, love, peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So in addition to pursuing the righteousness of God, Paul instructs Timothy to flee from sin. Like it's not enough for us just to pursue one thing and, and totally neglect the other. You know, quick story, uh, I think I have high blood pressure. You're, you're, you're probably sitting in your seat like, no wonder. Like, you're a, you're a wreck. You're, you're loud. You're all over the place. I mean, but I, I went to the doctor, and it appears as though I have high blood pressure. And so <laughs> um, i got to do some things, right? i, I got to change up some behaviors. I, I, have to, I have to practice some new things. I have to change up the way I eat. i got to get out there and walk and maybe hit the gym. Golly. It's hard first world problems but but I got to do some things differently I mean this is what I I want I want to say and I'll say it quickly and then we'll wrap it up here um so when it comes to this this newfound knowledge of high blood pressure uh, it would not be wise I'm sure you would all agree that I should just carry on eating the way I eat uh, um Having nothing to do with exercise right you wouldn 't say that right I hope you wouldn't someone who loves me you 'd probably agree that, oh well, Daryl has to change some things up so i 'm going to have to pick up some some new habits, some things that i i, I don 't do and if I could just kind of use that as an analogy of what Paul is trying to convince Timothy of, you know this word youth these words youthful uh, passions uh, they simply mean just things that maybe Timothy didn't know in his youth, um, practices and behaviors that he he may have been inclined and prone uh, to behave like and to practice. Paul's saying, "Hey, listen, dude. Much like my doctor, you're going to have to change some things up. Like, like if you want to get your blood pressure where it needs to be, like you got to get out there and get your heart rate up, Daryl. You're going to have to start. Stop, not start. I want to start actually today, but." Um, you're going to have to stop eating some, some, some red meat, some fatty meats. You're going to have to start getting some vegetables in you, right? You hear what I'm saying? This is what Timothy's exhortation is to, to, I'm sorry, Paul's exhortation is to Timothy. Timothy, you can't continue. You can't continue to go after these youthful passions because Timothy is young. He might be very much at this moment, still maybe even caught up in some of these passions without even knowing and Timothy's just getting word from other you know, people who are close to Timothy and, and, and Paul's encouraging him you got to put these things behind can I just say that it's not enough that you just pursue God's righteousness you yourself are going to have to flee from some youthful passions, you're going to have to learn some new things right? if you're going to walk in some new things can you hear me? you're hearing me? like we can't put all the responsibility on God. This is God's responsibility. He's given us this word. We're to hear it, and we're to obey it. And in this case, what we're to obey is exactly what Paul is saying to Timothy. Flee from that, run to that. <laughs> yeah? Leave those things behind. Pick these things up, Timothy. Pick up faith, love. You know, the word righteousness, it, it simply means this, if I can find it in my notes. It's, it's really not even heavy. It makes sense. But it, it, it simply means within this uh, uh, passage to have integrity and virtue. Right? I mean, we should be virtuous people as Christians. We should be most virtuous above all humanity. We should be pure of life. Listen to this. Rightness. Oh. But this is where it really gets me. And this is where it totally Um, resonates and connects with this sermon. It means to have correctness of thinking, hear me, feeling and acting. I I know that we don't like to touch those things in the church, especially in the charismatic church. You know, we just think things just, just happen because they happen because God is powerful, and He is, but they just don't happen. God requires something from us, and then things happen. And here He's Requiring correctness of thinking, feeling, and acting. Man, I don't know about you, but when it comes to anger, uh, I need some correction. I need I need a, a, I need God to turn turn this big ship around. I, yeah, I just called myself a big ship. I, I can't navigate these waters all that great. I need the King of kings, the Lord of Glory, to come in by His Spirit, grab that wheel, and turn it. Into, onto a different charter, onto a different course. And so I imagine that there are some here that need the same. So, my encouragement, if there is any encouragement in this word to you today, is that if you, like me, have certain behaviors that you know aren't glorifying Jesus, that you know aren't bringing God's Son glory, man, I would encourage you, strongly advise to start pursuing God's righteousness because I believe in pursuing it, you will produce it. I believe that as I change my eating habits and I get out there and walk, my blood pressure will come down and start to level up and be where it needs to be. I feel as though the same is applicable to when it comes to managing my anger and a lot of other things. I start to pursue God's righteousness in my life. I will produce God's righteousness. And as a result of producing it, I will see the works of this flesh be put to death. Church, this is my message. And, and, and here it is. You don't just have to apply, this is the good thing and the glorious thing about this sermon, you don't have to just apply this to anger. You, you can apply this to anything in your life. Maybe you struggle with lust. Maybe materialism is something that you have always fought as a believer. And you're like, I can't get out of this. You know, whatever it might be, you just fill in the gaps. You put your, your little thing in there, the place of which you know has always been this snare and this thing that has gotten you off track. You, you, take, you put this in there and you will see change. Mark my words. Pursue righteousness, produce righteousness, and put to death the works of the flesh. Amen. Bow your heads. Father, I thank you for the word of God proclaimed. And now, Father, we are asking for your grace. Oh, Lord, we know that it's not by might. It is not by power, but it is by your spirit. And God, we have done our best to exalt truth, to exalt truth the Spirit in this place. And so, Father, we ask as Monday hits, as Tuesday hits, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would do a deep work in us. The places where we're not pursuing the things in which we know, Father, we would hear the words of Paul the Apostle. Oh, Daryl, pursue righteousness. Pursue it. Go after it. Flee from the works of the flesh and go after the Spirit of God. Father, let us all hear that. This week, let it change and transform us. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Amen.